0: Welcome to episode 152 of the Fabulously Keto podcast and this is going to be the last specific intro to an episode because I'm in the process of making some changes around how the podcast goes out and over the next few weeks you will hear some changes as I change the intro that comes before this and I change the outro at the end. So you're, you'll start to notice some changes now that Louise isn't with me. I'm going to get round to to making those changes that she and I were wanting to do for ages and we never did. And then Louise has been gone for months now. And um, I really need to make those changes. In the upcoming intros, you will get a message on how you can find the show notes with the guest bio But for the moment, if you want to find the bio and all the show notes for this episode, it's fabulouslyketo.com forward slash podcast forward slash 152. Welcome, Ellen, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Hi, Jackie. Thank you for inviting me along. Yeah, it's great to get you eventually. (laughs) So we always start with, where in the world are you? So I'm in Birmingham in the West Midlands here in the UK. Right in the middle, yeah? Right in the middle. Excellent. And so let's start with your journey and how you came to Low Carb, what brought you here. Go back as far as you need to to bring the listeners along with you.
2: Okay, no problem. So, well, let's go from Um <laughs> uh, When I was first born... To very, very young parents. My mom was 19 when she had me. I have no idea how she managed. But when I was first born um, in the early 80s, uh, I seemed to, to be allergic to everything. And my parents really struggled to feed me at the very beginning. Uh, lots of hospital trips, and um, the doctors uh, gave them a big list of things to avoid. And the way my dad tells the story is that they went to the supermarket with a big shopping trolley, spent hours looking at the ingredients of everything and came out with 200 fags because there was nothing that there that I could have that was prepackaged. So my parents um, gave me a real food diet up until about the age of seven. So everything I ate was um, cooked from scratch, um, stews and soups and catheroles that sort of everything was cooked from scratch so for about the first seven years of my life I was um a, a good weight I was a healthy weight um and then of course the food landscapes changed and food industry um started to take allergens a lot more seriously and one of the um things that uh, that was on the list that I was allergic to was vegetable oil so before the food industry uh, started to take things a bit more seriously anything went into vegetable oil so you could have peanut oil in and all sorts so that's why I couldn't have any of it but when they stopped doing that that meant there was a lot more things that I was able to eat so from the age of seven I started to make up for it and um, the the options the options started to expand and so did I. so my weight gain really um, took off from then. Um, the doctors were very concerned about my weight. Um, I was gaining about a stone a year um I didn't see the fuss at that point. I didn't really. I was still playing around but the doctors were quite concerned and we saw various dietitians um and they gave my parents the information on low fat diets which was great because I could have as much pasta as I wanted and I could have all these nicely sweet uh low fat yogurts um so I was all for that um Uh, but each time I'd go back for the review I would have gained more weight and over the years I started to pick up that they were just not believing me they're not believing that I was sticking to exactly what they they were prescribing but the weight was still gaining on it was more of a well she must be getting access to some high fat food somewhere um but my parents just did as they were told and they gave us a lot of um low-fat foods
0: a stone a um, year is quite a lot of weight to put on in a year isn't it
2: by the time I was 16 I was 16 stone um and my heaviest in my 20s I was um 20 stone that's the heaviest and that's and after that I stopped weighing I was I was just distraught by then
0: I'm just but, gonna I'm just gonna work that out for our metric and American so 20 stone is um, 280 pounds, and that's 127 kilos. That's right. And for those who
2: work, work with BMI, because of my height, that made me – so in my 20s, I was a BMI of 55, and um if anyone's familiar with the NICE guidance, that's pretty much a fast track to bariatric surgery, mm. Um which is where it was looking. But anyhow, coming back a bit um, in my teens, when I really started to see that my weight was causing a problem, I couldn't get friends, being bullied. Um, it was really hard to buy clothes back then as well. You couldn't just go into the supermarkets. There was either Simply B or Evans that you'd mm. get the clothes from. They were costly. They, they were very expensive. So I would get um, my aunt's blouses, for school and it was how I learned to sew as well so my dad um, had to sew my pea skirt you know with all the pleats and I I learned one weekend how to sew skirts because I could not get one off the rail uh, a pea skirt for for school so I'd had to to do all that they sent us to lots of uh, weight management programs where they were just repeating the advice of low fats smaller portions and so on um my mom did definitely try to to follow that i i remember i must have been about 14 it was a sunday sunday meal and i remember my dad's portion which was really big compared to mine and i remember thinking well, say I actually said to her that uh why can't I have a portion like my dad's? And she says, When you're old enough, you can have a portion as big as you like. And definitely remembered that because I thought, well, you watch this because I will. <laughs> and so um after after that, um in my late teens, early twenties, it started to affect getting boyfriends. Um I struggled with jobs so when you're morbidly obese people tend to think you're lazy so I found myself working extra hard um, and not really being recognized for it and um, I went to commercial weight loss programs and one in particular Um if you had it was like red and green days and on on one of these particular days if you cook the chips the way they said then you could have as much as you like. it was free food. Um, I didn't realize back then there was anything such as food addiction. um probably when they gave that advice, they had had somebody like me in mind. I went home and I cooked three baking trays worth of these chips and ate the lot mm. um, and then I went back a week later, paid my five pounds to find out that I'd gained weight. And I was completely confused because they said I could have as much as I liked if I cooked them their way. So that wasn't working. Um, and I tried many other ones as well. I tried shakes. Um, I tried all the stats. Don't know if anybody else ever tried all the stats off the GPs. So if you eat any fat, it makes you get rid of it. That is not pleasant if you are looking to start a relationship <laughs> at all. Not pleasant. Um that was an awful time. Um when things got really quite dark, because you get quite lonely, depressed, isolated, um, I also started getting desperate and started um looking for cures for obesity online. And one of the worst things I found was some capsules that promised weight loss. I still today do not know what was in those capsules, but they caused such a pressure behind my eyes that I had to stop because the pain that that was uh, being caused by those capsules. I tried teas um, and all sorts of different things. Nothing worked until I read um, the Atkins diet. I read the Atkins diet. Yeah. And oh, I thought this is the best diet ever. Who would not like bacon all day? <laughs> and so I tried it and I lost six stone. Wow. Uh, which which was brilliant. And then I started to reintroduce carbohydrates and at some point must have started bread. Um, and that was it. It was all off again then. I put all the six stone back on plus more and I couldn't get back into doing a low carbohydrate diet. It was just too hard everything was too hard then um I did a a geographical as we call it so decided that everything was wrong in England there's nothing wrong with me it was England so I left the country and I started traveling and I ended up in Spain I uh, taught English for a few years in Spain but the thing is I went with me and it soon caught up with me and before I knew it I was eating in isolation in my bedroom, um, copious amounts of chocolate and crisps, chocolate and crisps um, with the radio turned up. So nobody would know. Um, And eating salads in front of other people because then they could see I was trying. But it was it was all it was all out um, out of control by then. Um, How,
0: uh, How long were you in Spain for? I was there for two years. Okay. For two years, um,
2: it yeah, it really got out of control. At that point, things were very dark. Um, I was depressed. I was suicidal. I couldn't see how I could get out of the rut that I was in. Food um, occupied my mind the whole of the day and sometimes in my dreams as well so I would wake up in the morning and before I'd even open my eyes I'd be thinking about breakfast Mm. and as I was mindlessly eating breakfast I was either thinking oh I'll have this x y and z for lunch or it could be that's my good day and how can I get to lunch without eating in between Mm. or I'll have this good low fat whatever for lunch um so there was constant preoccupation um with food um it was a very very dark very dark time my parents were saying why don't I come home and have the bariatric surgery which I'd been offered but I'd been a very ill child I didn't want any more operations I really didn't um so I was quite stubborn with that um the preoccupation with food was I didn't realize at the time until I'd uh found recovery, um, how much of my life it took. So I'll give you a, a good example. So if I'd be in the office and you know the tiers of biscuits, you've got different levels of biscuits, I'd take one or two. And then I'd panic that people would know. So I'd have to rearrange the biscuit tin so it looked like I hadn't taken any. And then go, well, I may as well just finish off that level and then it will all look even. Yeah. So then I'd finish that level. And it was, it was just out of control. And I'd wait for people to leave the office at five o'clock so that I could eat more of
0: it. Yeah. Once they'd gone. Really, quite dramatic um addiction behavior isn't it well that was it and that was the missing
2: piece the reason for me not being able to keep the low carb going before was because I didn't understand addiction and with addiction abstinence is the the best cure for it if you like which means you can't eat biscuits in moderation. Don't eat biscuits in moderation. And I had these lovely healthcare professionals constantly telling me it's okay to have a bit of cake at birthday parties. It's all right to have biscuits. We don't want you to feel as if you're missing out. Yeah. And every time I would try to do that, it would set off a cascade of eating. Um, So once I'd learned about food addiction...
0: How old were you at this point when you were eating uh, all the biscuits and...
2: I'd have been about twenty-five.
0: Right. Okay. At the time.
2: Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So once I'd learned about food addiction, I could bring low carb into it and know that I don't have to have biscuits. I don't have to have cake, and I will be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and that's uh, and that really helped a lot then. And, well, I, was, I started the low carb about when I was about twenty-six again. With the knowledge of food addiction,
0: so how did you um, how did you find out about food addiction?
2: So a, a group of people in um, Spain had they had a, a food addiction support group, wow. and I went to that, uh, which was absolutely amazing because I also thought I was the only one in the world that felt this way about food. Um, and once I, once I'd learned about a food addiction, I could have low carb, start a low carb diet um well a lifestyle really because it's not really changed um and over two years I lost 11 stone wow we and I've maintained that because of low carb and the knowledge behind food addiction for 14 years yeah. I haven't had a chocolate for 14 years and that was my biggest my biggest uh nemesis really I've had my quota for my lifetime <laughs> yeah well done Thank
0: you. So it's, it's like alcohol addiction, isn't it? You, you have to, if you've got that predisposition to be addicted to it, you just have to abstain. Yeah. And, you know, that's not me and I can moderate, but actually for the last five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, I've been abstaining because I've been doing carnivore. Mm-hmm. And actually it, it's another level of freedom in a way, because that should I have, you know, I'd have one square of chocolate a day, maybe. Um, but sometimes I think maybe I shouldn't have that one square of chocolate. But there's still this toing and froing in your head, should I, shouldn't, I shouldn't oh, I'm just gonna have it. It's only one square of chocolate. But when that when you're not having any, it it's it's another level level of freedom that you you come to isn't it absolutely I don't have that preoccupation with food anymore I don't
2: wake up and think about breakfast um I don't clock watch for my next meal um I I don't have that preoccupation of I shouldn't have this or I should do it this way and maybe I should cook it the other way none of that anymore so I have li- I have life in between meals now I have my meal it has a beginning it has a middle it has an end and it's done it's it's not always easy it's not always easy if I'm very um emotional um or life gets a bit rocky then those those thoughts can come back they 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 do start but there's little tricks that um you kind of pick up along the way um so sometimes if my husband cooks a really, well, I'm very lucky my husband does all the cooking, if he cooks a really delicious meal, um, I could be eating it. And at the very beginning, I'm already thinking this is not enough. This is not enough on my plate. There's more than enough on my plate. I'm sure there's plenty on the plate. But already because it's really, really nice, I'm already thinking there's not enough on my plate. And if there's other things going on in my life at the same time, that could, that could end up me having seconds, thirds, um, finishing off what's left. So as soon as I finish with my meal, um, if I'm in that period uh, of um, lots of emotional things going on, uh, stresses, then I would just get up and go straight away and brush my teeth. And that's it, done. And I indicate to my body, we're done with eating today. That's it. Mm. And yeah. the kitchen's closed. <laughs> so there's little tricks
0: that you can do like that. Yeah. So do you have any other tricks that you might use if you're going through particularly rocky period and yes absolutely
2: um having having other people to speak to that feel the same it's really hard um, to explain food addiction to somebody that doesn't have it they don't quite understand it but if i've got lots of friends who are food addicts and i can pick up the phone and and say I just need to talk to you for a bit because my kitchen is really loud right now and it wants me to hear, it wants me to eat everything that's in the kitchen and that's all I can hear. And we talk about usually end up giggling about it because it's really ridiculous. Um, But yeah, it's just the way that that my brain seems to be wired and it's very easy to fall back into it. Um, For example, um, I had some really bad news about a month or so ago something like life changing news um and it left me very emotional very loads of tears um yeah very very emotional uh, stage and i sat and i thought to myself how can i stop this pain how can i stop feeling like this and out of the blue my brain went have cheese on toast i haven't had cheese on toast for years now my brain wasn't wrong i would have actually felt better for about 20 so minutes, you know, after I finished a whole loaf, I've had to gone out to get the loaf as well. But it wasn't wrong. That was the go-to for comfort in the past. Yeah. Um, so at that point I picked up the phone and spoke to other people that understand and just explain how absurd my head went to stop feeling that pain at that time.
0: Yeah. So one thing you said was that um when your husband cooks and um so you got the plate and you feel like it's not enough. So I'm assuming it's all low carb food that you could eat. Yes. Is there any reason why you couldn't eat seconds and thirds until you absolutely stuffed would that trigger anything or you know what because I'm sure that the foods that you're eating are not um addictive per se. So what what would be wrong in having seconds or thirds maybe or yeah, just yeah. eating until your body says you know what i've really had enough which might only be halfway through your second helping
2: well for one i'm really good at overriding that so i'll yeah. just ignore it and finish it anyhow yeah. um and the other uh, the other reason is uh why do i want those seconds and thirds it's not because i'm hungry yeah. it's because i want to get away from whatever emotions that I'm feeling at that time yeah that's that's no good to me I need to be able to um feel those emotions and let them pass
0: yeah sit with
2: it and yeah don't don't try and stuff it down yeah so one of the lovely phrases that I've picked up along the way is to face my stuff not stuff my face
1: Mm, yeah
0: (laughs) I think uh, is it Renee Jones that says that It might be. It may well be. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I sometimes fall back in. I don't. I don't know if you find this. And it there might not be anything emotional going on, but I fall back into the old me of, I want to see a full plate. I want lots of food, and when there's not a lot on it, part of me panics because (laughs) there's not enough food. And I have had to teach myself it's okay if you're still hungry you'll eat some more you'll have some cheese you'll do you know find something else there's always food for you to eat do not panic but and when i've eaten it i've had enough i can you know it is enough but the old me just wants to eat with my eyes and wants a big full plate and it's taken a lot of work for me to get to that point where I just have to go, it's OK, you can eat if you're hungry later, you can eat. And and that was a big thing for me in the beginning. And I did used to have my supper. Then later on in the evening, I'd have some cheese and and it took me to work through that instead. I'm just eating that because I feel like I need to or want to and I'm mm-hmm. not really hungry. So that's when I dropped eating in the evening as well.
2: Well, done. I can definitely relate to that. Um even now my eyes will go to my husband's plate when he brings it in. And so he got more. Yeah. <laughs> I want the bigger plate. Yeah um uh I'm I'm very lucky in the fact that uh um like he'll say, How many of so and so do you want? Like, why are you asking me that question? The answer is all of them. Why why would you ask me that question? <laughs> just just dish up for me and I'll accept whatever you give me. Um and, and other other things I like, uh, relate to the situations is uh, as my daughter was growing up kids always like what's on your plate now I've finished up my portion and I, have to, I don't want to share it with you <laughs> and it would be resentfully giving her a bit of mine and then um, not finishing what's on her plate because that's not mine um, so uh, uh, I I often see it as um, I don't steal food I've done that in the past as well yeah I've stolen food i don't steal food anymore so if it's on somebody else's plate it's not mine so don't take it finish my daughter's plate but yeah she loves taking it off my plate it's taken me years to go i i will survive if i don't get that bit of sausage or whatever i will yeah. not die <laughs> so yeah i can 100 percent relate to that
0: yeah so ellen let's go back to when you first discovered um but you had a food addiction and you were still in Spain at that point. Yeah. What What steps did you take to um, to eliminate the food, I would say? And then, you know, how was that process for you?
2: It's uh, It was very gradual. I think if I tried to eat the way I do now back then, it wouldn't have worked. I would have just given up. And eating everything else, and perhaps eating myself to death. Um, first thing that I did was to go to um, to stop what we call red foods. So red foods or anything that's triggering for me, and they were all always ultra processed foods, so uh, biscuits and chocolate and the like. Um, I would stop those. Did, and, you, did you just well, cut
0: them out cold turkey?
2: Yeah and to go down to three meals a day so not eating in between meals and that was probably the hardest time so when I put down a chocolate because I'd never have the small chocolate bars they were always the big chocolate bars and it was always two um I I first put down chocolate uh, I knew I had to and that night I went to bed and I cried myself to sleep I cried myself hoarse Snot tears everywhere, as if you were taking a dummy away from a baby, and Mm. they have to try and figure out how to self soothe. I went to bed that night thinking I'm going to die if I don't eat chocolate. I'm just going to die. This, this is it. This is the end. But something beautiful happened the next morning. When I woke up, my first thought was actually, "No, Ellen, you're going to die if you keep eating chocolate." Mm. And then. Um, The withdrawal started um, over the first few weeks, Um, awful stomach upsets, headaches, oh, the irritability. I was so glad that I pretty much lived alone because I was so angry. Um, I was very fortunate to have a job where I worked early in the morning and in the evening. So I had the middle of the day to myself because I was so tired um and I would sleep between meals because that preoccupation was still there. Um it's time. Yeah, yeah. But also in the morning. So I would sleep between breakfast and lunch and then have my lunch. Um and, ha- and then and sleep again just just to get past it. It was just really hard to get past it. Um and was, the the, the sorry, three meals that's okay. I'm the, gonna
0: the, ask you a question. Was the sleep um a way an avoidance mechanism or was it that you were physically tired or it was
2: it was definitely both because I I would pace the floor waiting for lunch um and yeah I, I I would pace the floor I'd be thinking what can I do next and part of the three meals a day was also having that discipline to um not start preparing or cooking my meals until midday so it wasn't a case of my meals are all sorted the day before. I knew what I was going to have, but they weren't ready. And I couldn't start preparing or cooking the meal until 12 o'clock. Mm. So it wasn't um, 12 o'clock came, thank God I can eat. There was actually a process before I could eat. So I, that helped a lot. Um, the bit with the chocolate, that was the hardest. Chocolate was the hardest. Um, I ha- I had to go through a different process I don't even know if if it has a name in psychology I don't even remember how it all came about but what I found myself doing was going to the shop buying the chocolate walking out the shop and putting it in the bin and that whole process even at that point I was getting cold sweat like, I've, I've just got to go through that process did that a few times and then I'd get the chocolate off the shelves and then go to the cashier and say I've changed my mind And they just put it back. They never ask you, are you sure? But just verbally saying, I've changed my mind on that, even though I knew it was a lie, I wanted it. It was just another step closer for it staying on the shelf. And later on, I'd get it off the shelf on aisle two and leave it on aisle 10 and just not today, not today. And then as time went by, I could just go to the shelf and say not today, maybe tomorrow, but not today. Mm. and over time just became a lot easier it easier to be able to say no
0: so opportunity to practice saying no yeah Mm. well done because that that must have taken huge huge amounts of willpower (laughs)
2: yeah. <laughs> and, and, especially... and support of people because i would be on the phone to people so this is what i'm doing people that understand other food addicts this is what i'm doing this is the process i'm having to go through can you be with me whilst i do it and they would they would be because they've been there
0: yeah, yeah. especially with the beginning bit where you, you've paid for it and now you're going to throw it in the bin yeah. because we tend to have this loophole thinking of i've paid for it therefore i need to eat it yeah so that <laughs> that was probably even a bigger step than than the subsequent steps of not actually paying for it you know just saying no actually I'm not going to take it today yeah so that was massive well done thank you so then how did how did you progress from there
2: so from there so I started losing weight straight away um I I would still uh kebabs I used to love kebabs um not the shish kebabs i mean like the donna kebabs where you kind of hope it's meat that sort of stuff <laughs> i would have that um and i got into the habit of saying no chips no naan they'd look at me as if i was an alien but they would just give me the meat and then i would go home and divide that into two meals and then cook my vegetables to go with it because i still i still wanted to have uh the kebabs um and that would make uh two meals some sprouts and broccoli or whatever i'd have that uh, and the weight even though i was still eating those takeaways uh the weight just flew off It just goes to show how bad my diet was in the first place um, and then over time my weight loss plateaued but i was still classed as obese Um, so i knew i needed to do something else and this is where uh, it's it's helpful to be with the, a food addiction network because they help you get honest right um and so one of the things that was brought up is well, what about your portion sizes? Do you think your portion sizes are sensible? And hand on heart, I really thought they were. I really thought they were. So I was given a, a given a, um, a suggested uh, diet sheet with a certain amount of ounces and what have you. It was a long time ago now. I can't remember what they are. And I weighed my meal out. So I was on the phone to somebody. Like, okay, I'm going to weigh this meal out now and see what it's supposed to look like. And I remember looking at the pork chop that they they'd suggested at the time and I thought what am I going to do with the other side of my mouth this is ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) and it just showed me how big my portions were and I I laughed at it I laughed at it at that point so I was in must have been in a good place I laughed at it at that point I, I panicked as well I you know I can see my plate you know usually there's food on it but all of a sudden I can see my plate and I go okay so this meal is meant to last me until the evening oh my god how am I going to manage this but I ate it I felt okay and I made it to my next meal (laughs) who knew um so yeah it helped me get honest and then I understood portions so I my portion started to reduce as well from that point and the weight loss started again
0: yeah so what when when was this as in how old were you or how many years ago was that so I'd
2: have been about 26 by then because it was over the two years.
0: Oh, so, OK. Yeah. Um, we, before we came on air, we were talking about how my weight has plateaued. and I, And I am sure that I probably eat too much still, mm. even though it's a lot less than I used to.
2: Yeah. I mean, if I went back to weighing, maybe I would find that too. I'm just not in a position to start doing that today. Today, I can just accept where I am um as well but uh yeah maybe
0: yeah but you look fab so why would we-
2: thank you and and I'm healthy on the inside as well which is important um I, I did that bit of weighing and measuring for a while um uh, I was a lot sober in my head at that point and I knew I didn't want that to become um a, a diet for me that I constantly had to obsess with what I was weighing and measuring so I came away from that and I just agreed with somebody else who's a food addict that once a month at a drop of a hat when they decided they would say it's a way in a measuring day to day and I would just do it. And it was always interesting that once a month, how my portions of yogurts would have, have increased by then or uh, my other parts of my meal would have increased over that month when I started doing things uh, freehand. Yeah.
0: So
2: that was helpful. That was helpful.
0: Yeah. Do you still do that?
2: The way you're measuring, no, I haven't done it for a while now. My weight has stayed the same for years. Even after my pregnancy, within six months, I was back to my weight.
0: Uh, How old's your daughter? She's seven. Have you got any other kids or not? No, just her. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. It's a very cute age, seven. She is, and she's, she's the mommy's girl, 100% mommy's girl. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things you um mentioned is that your dad and your sister were also food addicts. Yeah. And they took a different journey, so can you tell us about that?
2: Yes, yeah, I can. Um so when I started to lose the weight, um it was a quite a shock for them. Um my dad and my sister also morbidly obese at the time. Um so I would be coming home every term Uh, And each time they saw me, I'd be a lot lighter. Um, And at some point that they were, I'm a bit worried about you, you look a bit ill. I really do think it's just because they've never known me that way. Mm. Um, I was fine, I was quite healthy. Um, But it inspired them to want to lose weight as well. Um, That they both took the um, bariatric surgery approach. Um, And for my sister, uh, it worked um, quite well. Uh, but as we see, as we see in the evidence, uh, within five years, people start to regain the weight. And she acknowledges herself that weight has started to come back on, but worse. So for her, is she has never got over that preoccupation of food. Mm. Um, and th- there's always a panic. And with bariatric surgery as well, you find that you have to eat more frequently Yep. so it's almost like it that problem has doubled for her so having six meals a day instead of three and it's very hard to uh, sit with a small meal when you've still got a fat head <laughs> yeah. um, and she struggles. she throws a lot of it away and my dad's the same sadly for him his surgery didn't go so well um and he had to be rushed back down because they hadn't quite sewn the bowel back on or something like that and he leaped on the inside. So his um, bariatric surgery is a lot tighter. Um, he still has to make two pieces of toast. Um, and knowing that he will throw one away, this is over a decade ago. Um, but because he's the complications with his surgery, um, he struggles to eat meat. He can't swallow it, finds that he's vomiting quite a lot. And because of the psychological part of it, he never went back to the doctors to try and get some help. So he, you know, 11 or so years on, he has been wasting on the inside. So he's very weak. His teeth crumbled away. He's had to have them all taken out. And because he couldn't eat meat, and the only way that he could get energy to be able to work was by dripping in carbohydrates all day long. So he had the he has type two diabetic. He had the surgery. He went into remission when he lost the weight, but because of the way he had to eat, the type two diabetes has come back. Yeah, I am happy to say though now, after all this time, uh, he's got a set of teeth, proper set of teeth, and he can eat meat now. And um, he has been doing low carb for a few months, and
0: he he's feeling fabulous. Oh, good! <laughs> I was gonna say, was he? Yes. It- to follow your route even after the surgery they both found it so hard um
2: um but yeah but he is now and he's got his insulin units right down but sadly he can't tell the truth to his diabetic nurse because the nurses are still saying oh no don't do that you'll have a heart attack mm. so he just says yeah your insulin's working well done Which yeah is a shame.
0: some uh we can't go down that route, can we? The medical profession, some people are really open and it's, it's uh, things it's an or up one. to a certain point. You know, my, my husband's type 2 diabetic, and the nurse, the diabetic nurse in our surgery, is open to um, intermittent fasting and she tells people about the Fresh Worlds app. Excellent. But that's about as far as it goes and i've said i'll go in you know as an ambassador i'd go in and give some talks but they they're not interested yeah. but i suppose it's better than nothing at least should he choose to do that because he doesn't choose to do that should he choose to do that he would get some sort of support but yeah yeah
2: there's there's something called an adoption curve which i learned recently about where if one trusts Um, start something that's classed as gold standard and gets great results, savings for the NHS and all the patients are happy and the staff are happy. It's absolutely, it's gold standard. It takes about 20 years for everywhere else to follow. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So a really great example of that is um, Birmingham. Um, Birmingham still says it should be low-fat and high-carb. Yeah. But the Coventry and Warsaw and Dudley so it kind of if, if you imagine Birmingham it's, it's in between the two um will say low carb so if if my dad just moved post co- uh postcode he would be able to say uh to his uh healthcare professionals that yes I'm doing low carb and this is the results I'm happening. but it hasn't quite caught on no as and yet, that- from, from my dad's experience anyway in Birmingham
0: yeah and for most of us we just have to get on and do it ourselves and um, a previous guest said he decided to take his health, make it his responsibility. And I think that's what we've got to do is just be responsible for ourselves and not expect the doctors to do it for us.
2: Absolutely. But I can understand as well about the um, uh, the struggle with the doctors. So um, when I came back from Spain, I'd lost all the weight. Um, my GP was... Uh, I don't understand this he had to do the calculations twice he was like wow how have you done this and I explained and I said to him at that point well I can start a group here if you like and we can get everybody else in in your surgery to come and understand it a bit more we can all support each other and at that point he said no because we can only take advice from dietitians and I was a I was a bit disheartened at that, you know. Thinking, well, you know, I've lived it, you know. Surely that's going to be something. But you know, if you hadn't have done it, I wouldn't have gone back, got my GCSEs, got my A levels, and become a dietitian. Gone to university and become a dietitian. So I'm helping a lot more more people now, um, because of those words, um. But yeah, it, but yeah, expert patients they they have a value and and it's a, an asset they really should be using.
0: Yeah and and you know for me i think that the the one person that's done it in a way is almost more credible than than the dietician or the doctor or the researcher that says you should be doing this or that i think there's a great value in in having gone through the process themselves and understood what's going on and maybe even understanding on a biological level more Mm -hmm. than the healthcare professional does
2: yeah and exactly what they will be going through with their experience as well and sharing it and that's so much more relatable to the people that are still suffering yeah yeah
0: so what does a day look like for you in terms of eating now um I'll I'll have a coffee in the morning
2: with uh, some double cream and then at lunch I'll have some sort of uh, meat or fish Um, maybe with some vegetables depends the rush that i'm in or uh what have you um and i'll have some cheese um and evening looks the same it it sounds quite boring but it 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 just works that way i can't eat eggs i'm allergic i would love to be able to eat eggs um but yeah it's it's meat fish cheese with some vegetables this time of year i eat the fruit that's grown in my garden yeah um otherwise, I don't have a lot of fruit um I don't snack in between meals that that's part of my abstinence is to not eat in between meals
0: nowadays, so you're fourteen years in mm. how on a scale of one to ten how how would you rate your struggle with food nowadays? It's very low I mean
2: only that whole cheese on toast thing that we talked about earlier mm. um that came as a bit of a shock But oh where on earth has that come from so if i had to put it um probably put it as a two okay it's uh, i i feel like i'm very strong in my recovery very yeah. strong yeah excellent the other thing that um i tend to avoid this is more uh from a food addiction point of view is um keto substitutes so things like keto cakes keto breads um yeah the keto bars and things like that they they almost trigger this a similar um craving within me as well so I tend not to play with my food as such (laughs) um and just more recently um I've put down artificial sweeteners as well and um, I think that was because um, somebody had mentioned uh, that uh, sweeteners are really good in food addiction. It's a bit like methadone. So it helps people come off. And it occurred to me that I'd been on my methadone for 12 years. I thought maybe I ought to stop this now. And that was actually quite hard. And I found myself having withdrawal symptoms from that as well. And all of a sudden the um, the sweet dreams started to come back. Uh, during that process I didn't realize the effect artificial sweeteners were having on me um, but they they play a role if uh, you can't um, come away from sweetness cold turkey completely um, but uh, yeah there was there was definitely something going on with those as well um, but I've stepped away from all of those now as well.
0: Yeah I was going to ask you about that because um, I think there's different people have different response to sweeteners don't they as as to how that trigger and I there was about three or four years ago I started to make ice cream that uses um, xylitol Mm -hmm. and I've never been a great one for ice cream you know I can take it or leave it Um, but I thought oh it would be nice to have something after as a something sweet so I made some ice cream and wow, when when that was in the freezer, I had to have some every day. Yeah. And in the end, I had to stop making it because I was eating. Not only was I eating more than I wanted to, but I was having to have it every day, and it was it was almost like an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um. So I I do have some sweeteners in the cupboard, but I can't remember the last time I used them.
2: Yeah. Same for me. I bought I went for the stevia one because I thought, oh, stevia is the it's natural, but then when I read it properly, it was um, a refined version of stevia with xylitol, and that's just sitting in there as well. I've got proper stevia leaf powder, and it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> so it's definitely like not like the re, uh, refined stevia. It's 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 like sweet cabbage. It's, oh god, this is awful. So I, I have no desire to keep going back to that jar to make anything else out of it, but. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah I don't I, uh, yeah I don't play with my food anymore um yeah. it's just
2: it's safer not to
0: <laughs> yeah and I never got into replacement uh you know I, in the beginning I never made biscuits or cake um yeah or cake or bread I just did like probably like you're doing now just food real food mm-hmm. um and, and I have since you know tried certain things um but I don't I don't do it all the time because I, it it still makes you want to eat more. I think if yeah. you've got biscuits or cheesecake, well, especially cheesecake because it's going to go off, so um you just have to mm. eat it, and no one else is going to eat it. So I just eat the whole thing. Yeah. So, uh, I yeah, I haven't made anything for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah,
2: I don't, I don't, I don't play with my food. Um, there are there is this uh, one recipe, um, that makes these little buns um within 30 seconds of the mi- microwave in the microwave um but you have to have them there and then otherwise they go all dry and horrible but it's such a faff to make that i can't be bothered so one of my go-to snacks well, meals uh, nice lunches to just go for nice and quick is uh, a bell pepper in half and i stuff it with pate and cream cheese and mm. off we go done <laughs> do you you cook the pepper or raw i keep it raw yeah Yeah. in the in the winter i'll do a stuffed pepper with the melted cheese um but usually it's just a quick go-to because i'm gonna crack on and get on with life rather than have to
0: be a slave to food yeah it's very freeing isn't it indeed it is it is so, Ellen, is there anything else that you want to tell the listeners, or feel that I should have asked you and I haven't that you want to share with the listeners? So, if you feel that like you may be food addicted, to Food Addiction
2: Resources is holding regular, intensive online courses to help you through your food addiction symptoms through the withdrawal period, and to teach you exactly what's going on in the brain uh, to be able to uh, start your recovery. Uh, with a support network so keep an eye on the website for new dates we're having one at the end of July um, and regular dates will be posted uh, on the website
0: yeah so is there somewhere where they can go and sign up to get on a newsletter or something where they'll find out about the dates
2: yes absolutely we have got um a link to register an interest form it's just uh, your name and email address and you can get a a regular newsletter a monthly newsletter that will also have all the dates on there and if there are any healthcare professionals uh, listening at the end of this month we will have our food addiction resources level one which will be CPD accredited shortly uh, which is an introduction to food addiction from a healthcare professional point of view
0: yeah excellent So how healthcare professionals support their food addiction patients. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. So how can people get in contact with you or social media? You said you don't do very much social media. So if they wanted to contact you or find out more, how can they do that? So I'm currently working as a food addictions operations manager
2: for the Public Health Collaboration, the PHC. Uh, So you can get in touch with us uh, through Twitter uh, with PHC. Um, You can also go to the PHC website and look uh, at our projects. It's called FAR Food Addiction Resources. So you can get hold of me there too.
0: So do you work closely with Jen and Heidi? Very closely, yeah. Excellent. (laughs) Right, so let's finish off with your three top tips So my three top tips to
2: anybody that has listened to my story and thought that I had just read their story would be start off a little slowly um, and have a look at the ingredients of your foods. And if in the first five ingredients there is sugar or flour, wheat flour, in the first five ingredients, don't eat it. Start off with that. The other tip would be to find a support network of like-minded people, people in food addiction. So, for example, uh, at the PHC, we run uh, support groups for food addicts and we run courses to help people understand and start um, the the low-carbohydrate diet and get you through withdrawal. So having a support network is really valuable to be able to
0: reach out to people when things get tough can they find that on on the phc website they can indeed excellent yeah um and the
2: other top tip i would have is um practice saying no to the foods that you can't eat um and that's under the whole fake it till you make it because at the very beginning you're saying no but on the inside you know you're lying that's how i felt i was just saying no to the biscuits but in the inside i'm just lying to them um, but eventually you practice saying no enough eventually I started to believe it I started to believe I didn't want it and now I definitely don't want it so those would be my three top tips
0: yeah I love that one the practice saying no because um, I'm going off on holiday on Friday and and I know Thanks. that in my head I will be wanting to eat different things and So what I love about what you just said is say no, even though you know you're lying. So I've got to practice saying no, even though I know I'm lying, because quite often on holidays, I will be a bit more lax with my diet and not worry too much. But I really want to stay a bit stronger this time and not put all the weight back on. So I'm 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 going (laughs) to practice saying no, even though I know I'm lying. Let's do it. I always felt that for years that I
2: have to say no and give a reason behind it. I know I don't want that biscuit. I'm allergic or I'm diabetic or whatever. And I'd have to I'd have to give somebody the reason. They didn't ask for it, but I felt like I had to give a reason for why I'm saying no. And somebody told me quite recently, someone in the PHC, actually quite recently said, actually, Ellen knows a complete sentence. I thought, Oh, my gosh, it is. So I've been practicing that more recently, just no, and leaving it. And people just accept the no. I don't know why I got myself all into a tiz about having a spiel to say if they say, why not?
0: (laughs) Most people just go, okay, and move on. (laughs) Yeah, I like that one as well. I've heard that recently, no is a complete sentence. I like it. (laughs) Yeah, that's another one to add. (laughs) (laughs) Bonus tip. (laughs) Yeah. So, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. I really did.
2: I really have. I hope help. Hope somebody hears it and they know that they're not alone.
0: Yeah, and that's really important. Um, and for some people, it was just recognizing that the addiction is real, and yeah, you need help. You can get help yeah. if you want. To. Thank you. Thank you. It would be great if you could support us through Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash and you can choose the monthly amount you wish.
1: Can you recommend a guest we can in interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation.
0: Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Fabulously Keto. Or follow us on Instagram, Fabulously Keto 1. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle fabulouslyketo1 and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes.
1: If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners.